am going to read um, the scriptures this morning. So if you have got your Bibles with you, why don't you open to John? And I'm going to read from John chapter 15, verse 1 to 12. And if you were here last week, Brian just explained our heart behind these um, moments that we get to share that actually we gather because of Jesus Christ and we come and we gather and we submit ourselves to him and we submit ourselves to the word who is Christ himself. And so this is just a corporate moment for us to acknowledge the scriptures, to submit ourselves to the person of Christ and respond in unison with one voice. So I read the scripture and then at the end of the scripture, I'm gonna say, this is the word of the Lord. And this is your moment because you get to respond with joy, passion and enthusiasm. And you say that, thanks be to God. Wonderful, look at you guys, hey, you are amazing. Okay, John chapter 15, verse one to 12. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. Amazing, thanks Caitlin. Well, good morning everyone. It's so good to be with you guys. Um, well, we are diving in, this is kind of a special Sunday for us. Uh, because at the beginning of each year, not only do we kind of revisit this central theme of us practicing the way of Jesus, but we also spend some time in prayer and fasting, asking the Lord if there is a certain direction that he wants to take us, a word, uh, kind of a focus. And um, normally that looks like a, a word or a phrase, maybe like a book of the Bible. And this year, as we were spending some time in prayer and fasting, I kept having this vision of a garden. And I didn't pay much attention to it because it wasn't a word or a phrase or something that I was used to. But every time I'd go to prayer for you and for our church, I just kept having this sense of being immersed in this imagery of, of a garden. And so um, as we began 
to talk with Isaac and Emily and Brian and Caitlin, our pastoral staff, about that and different themes that we sense God stirring in our heart. Interestingly enough, the idea of a garden really encapsulates really a lot of what we see God wanting to do this year. And so I'm going to be spending this morning kind of unpacking some of the kind of the spiritual implications of what a garden means for our life and for our church. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a roadmap for what we're going to be doing this year. Um, so on the screen should be uh, a little bit of a um, kind of a map for us. Uh, and so, it, and some of you guys know this, some of you guys might not know, but historically the church has followed a calendar uh, that focuses on different theme, themes of preparation and things that we're looking forward to in the biblical narrative. And so we are in a season called Epiphany right now. This is kind of after the Advent season. And we're going to be looking, starting next week, we're going to be using this season to really cultivate a hunger for God by focusing on the theme of prayer. Um, and so you've heard us talk about the prayer rooms. So you're going to hear us talk about the prayer rooms some more because we really, really believe in the power of us abiding with Christ through the act of prayer. Um, pretty soon we're going to be arriving at this season of the church called Lent. Uh, which may be one of the most famous seasons because this is when you try and give up coffee for 40 days and then you don't do it and, you know, you like you swear you're not going to go on social media that much or something. And, uh, but Lent is where we're going to be focusing on the, this theme of being in a garden of tilling the soil. What are some of those things that have kind of gone, gone underneath the surface that we want God to help free us from? Now, we're going to be doing this by actually looking at the beginning of the biblical narrative of Genesis through the Exodus. After that, we're going to arrive at Easter, um, which we're going to be looking um, quite obviously as Jesus as the seed, who calls himself that in John chapter 12, who was buried and then raised again as new life. And so we're going to be looking around those themes and then this idea of new growth. And that's where we're going to be kind of entering into Pentecost and and this idea of what does it mean to live this new life that God has called us to. And we're going to be doing that by looking through the letter of Ephesians, um, which is an incredible epistle written by the Apostle Paul that essentially tells us how do you live the life that is in accordance to the gift that God has given you through his grace. And then when we enter in the fall, we're going to be looking at this theme of like how do you tend that garden, this new life that God has given you through different practices and uh, through different sort of rhythms. And that will end like every garden in, an, in a harvest that we want to produce something. And this actually will go along right in the theme for downtown of us moving into our new building. And so this will actually be a sign for us that the goal is not the building. That's actually the starting point. And so we're going to be preparing the soil of our hearts. We're going to be cultivating and tending the community around here so that when we arrive at a new chapter as a community, we are ready to live into the missional life for the sake of the city, for the fruitful call that God has given us. And so as Encinitas in downtown, this is kind of our map for the year. So I just want to kind of give that to you guys. And um, we're going to dive in a little bit more just into this idea and this theme of the garden. So as I was starting to prep for this sermon, I decided that, that normally for me, just kind of my makeup is I love to like pray and read a ton. But I decided for this, I'm like, I'm actually going to go and sit in a garden while I write this. And so has anyone ever been to the botanical gardens? 
Um, they're up in Encinitas. They're worth the trip. There's some uh, in Balboa Park as well, the Japanese gardens. And so I decided that rather than just reading, I would immerse myself within the context of this theme. And as I was walking through these, these like acres of gardens, these are beautiful and well manicured, I began to start taking note of what you see when you are in a garden. You see things like beauty that you can't see manufactured by human hands. You see order, both by nature and also by act of the gardener. You see sustenance, you see food and vegetation. You see shade from the sun, which could end up being shelter. You have a sense of welcome and hospitality when it comes to a garden, like I belong. There's a sense of diversity, biodiversity, that actually enables the growth of the plants, that it cannot function just by one thing, but it actually feeds into one another. You think about the intricacy when you actually go and look close into a flower or a bush or a tree, you actually see the incredible design that was put forth. You actually can smell the aroma of what's happening in that space. And all of that was incredibly overwhelming for me, thinking about how the Bible continues to draw us back to, as the people of God, to this idea of being in a garden. And this is one of the most uh, blatant primary motifs throughout all of Scripture, but we're going to look at three different themes, and we're actually going to kind of survey the, the whole of Scripture in about 30 minutes. The number one thing we're going to be doing is looking at the, the garden in Genesis, where we get our sense of hope from. The second thing we're going to be fast-forwarding to the time of Jesus, where he talks about our heart in the midst of a garden. And then lastly, we're going to be looking forward towards our home when we will be in a garden again. And so the first thing, I want to have you turn to the second page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 2. This is after the, the creation poem, and we begin to start to get some more details about what was happening in this. It says, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. A river watering the ground, garden flowed from Eden. The Lord, the Lord, skip to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat from it, you will certainly die. If you turn to the next page, what you'll notice is that there is a massive fallout. Interestingly enough, the very first command that's ever given to Adam is you are free. Did you pay attention to that? It wasn't do not eat, that comes later. It was you're free. Eat anything in the garden, it's yours. Like how beautiful that our God introduces Adam to this with this beautiful vocation to tend the garden with this command, eat anything you want. 
It's all yours. Don't eat this one tree that's here. And what we find the next page of scripture is he, him and Eve do just that underneath the temptation of the serpent. And interestingly enough, some of the fallout of their sin, of their rebellion against God's command, actually has to do with the garden itself. In Genesis 3.17, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This, by the way, summarizes what we would, we would believe is the state of the world, right? This good, beautiful, ordered, blessed world that God made was corrupted, not only at an internal level, but at a cosmic, biological level. There is something broken in the world. And so the work you do as a gardener to tend the garden, all of a sudden you have friction, Right? You have the really lame person who complains about their coffee if you're a barista. You have the person who doesn't tip you if you're a waiter. You have the angry parent who continues to email you every day if you're a teacher, right? You like, whatever your occupation is, you have this certain level of friction because we live in this world that is broken and fallen. Um, so there's this sense of us realizing that there's beauty and goodness in the world, yet it's not as it should be fully. And this theme of being in the garden comes to a head where God actually sets them outside of the garden in exile as ultimately an act of mercy. He says, I don't want them to eat from the tree of life because I don't want them to stay in this state forever. Like this cursed ground thing can't live forever. And so in the meantime, which we are now in between that space, we live in that. But interestingly enough, as the story unfolds in scripture, we keep having the same theme of a garden type life, a promised land, and then being outside of that promised land. This looks like the theme of exile. So when God speaks to um, calls Abraham, which then turns into a family, which then turns into a nation. What you see is you, he calls them to a land flowing with milk and honey, a garden-like environment. I'm calling you back home. And once again, we are confronted not just with personal rebellion, but, but with the rebellion of a nation. And so what happens is that people now find themselves outside of it. It kind of ebbs and flows throughout the Old Testament based on their faithfulness to God. And it ends, the Old Testament ends with them outside the promised land. They're in exile, which by the way, in the Jewish story, there is no greater consequence than exile. The worst thing that could happen to you is to be outside the promised land. And so the Old Testament ends with that state, which should not surprise us that when the prophets start prophesying to the people in exile, they start using imagery of a garden again. Let me just read you one of them for time's sake. Isaiah 51, verse 3 says, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. 
joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. And so there is this growing expectation in the people of God that they would not only return to Jerusalem, to Zion, to the promised land, but that they would know that the Lord had come when it started to look like Eden, when it started to look like the promised land. And so this is kind of really where we begin the story. Moving into kind of our second theme is when Jesus shows up, he too talks a lot about garden metaphors and motifs. But he doesn't talk about it so much within the context of land and kingdoms as much as he talks about the condition of your heart. All of a sudden, he's now concerned with what the soil of your own soul looks like. Is it ready to receive what God is sowing into you, the word, that seed that he is giving, can you receive it? So I wanted to just, for us just to take a, a couple of minutes to look at how Jesus pretty consistently refers to these garden themes in terms of your own heart. And for us as readers 2,000 years later, would we start to actually take some inventory of our own heart? Like what, what's the condition of our soil like of our own soul and our own heart? Here's just a few of them. Luke chapter 18, he gives the famous parable of the sower. And it says this. this is, I'm just going to read the explanation of it. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away from the word in their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who received the word with joy when they heard it, but they have no root they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. I, th I think we live in a very thorny city, right? Where we are choked out by the worries, the riches, and the pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble, listen to this, a noble and good heart. So here's what's really funny about this parable. No farmer would ever go and spread seed on a path in weeds and in thorns. What kind of farmer would ever just, like, you have a limited supply of harvest. And you, and, but here comes this gardener, and he's not looking for the good soil. He's throwing it everywhere. He says, my word goes everywhere. But then he goes and he says, but these are the different kinds of soils. So the question we should ask ourselves is, do we actually participate in the condition of our own heart? Do we have something to say about the soil of our receptivity when it comes to this? Because if it's not up to us, then what's the point? But interestingly enough, although this parable doesn't speak to it, all of scripture always talks about your heart being something you're responsible for. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Matthew 22, Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Meaning, we actually have some agency and responsibility when it comes to the condition of the soil of our heart, whether or not we can receive it or not. And so if we want to start talking about a garden that God's building and drawing us back towards, we actually can't start with a geographical map or even some sort of heavenly one. It actually begins inside. Are you ready for the word of God to be sowed into your heart? Who Caitlin said is Jesus himself.
Are you ready to receive him? Which is why our teaching text for this morning and really for this year is John chapter 15 when he invites you and I to abide in him, to remain in him like a branch would to a vine. And he uses a garden filled with vineyards as a picture of what you and I's relationship is like with him. And so three things when you read John 15 that I want to just kind of highlight this morning. There's a lot, but three things. Number one is there's a principle of remaining. Secondly, there's a principle of pruning. And thirdly, there's, a, there's kind of an end goal of loving. So when we're talking about the art of abiding and what does that look like, we have to take consideration of these three things. Now notice, we, there's different people participating in each of these. When it comes to remaining, that's something that we do. Like we have an active part in abiding in Christ. But when it comes to pruning, that's actually something he does. That's something that he's at work in. But when it comes to loving, that's something we do together. It's something that you cannot separate. It's not something that we just do because we're good people and we, and we like altruism. No, it's something that God doesn't just do on his own either. It's something that we do in partnership. I'm just going to work through these three different themes quickly. Again, there's, there's a lot we can say about it. I'm just going to give you a quick thought on each. Number one, when it comes to remaining, some of your Bibles may say abiding, same word. Abiding I actually like because it actually draws from the, the, the uh, root word of abode or house. You actually make your home in. Um, it's where we're getting our picture of, like a, of a structured that's built or trellis. It's something we build our life around and then we live inside of that thing. Because I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, rest into me, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, listen to this, listen to this verse and how much it confronts our cultural narrative. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the strong language Jesus is saying here to get our attention to say, please, I'm inviting you, attach your life to me. Make your home in me. Order your life around me. And as I was praying for us this morning and looking at my own life, the, the one thing that I felt very aware of is one of the, the greatest, and again, there could be many, but just one for today, one of the greatest enemies of my ability to abide in, in Christ is not my desire or even the resources that I have. It's actually just my pace of life. It doesn't make a lot of time to do the slow, hard work of just being with Jesus. This is, by the way, why we started the entire year off with a sermon solely devoted to that. Are we willing to slow to the pace of a vine and a branch? Listen, we cannot get around how much garden imagery there is in Jesus' teaching and just chalk it up to like, oh, that's just agrarian culture. It's spiritual culture. We have to be willing to reject the rapid, frantic energy around us and to rest into the slower pace of the spiritual life of Jesus so that we could be able to receive from the vine. Recently, I was given a, uh, a gift of a book by the Japanese theologian Kasuki Koyoma called The Three Mile an Hour of God. Phenomenal read. I encourage you guys to pick it up. But one of the things that he writes in there, he says, God walks slowly because he is love. 
If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is a slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by a storm or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks. And I think this is a really vivid image of what does it look like that we don't really ever see Jesus run. Although, wouldn't that be incredibly more efficient if like he came as like a, like a marathon runner? Like think about how many more sermons he could accomplish and, and like healings he could do. If he was like, you know, like toddlers run like everywhere. Like it's never, you don't just walk. It's just like, oh, they're either bouncing somewhere or they're running somewhere. Like part of me just wonders like, man, Jesus, like you, you should have like just planned this out better. Like you should have like been in somewhere like Jerusalem or Rome where it's just more like concentrated group of people, but you're just walking all the time. And I just, there's something in us, I think that I want that to challenge us a bit. Um, and the, the thing I think about is uh, I love, I actually like working in my backyard a lot. And I've, I've planted grass in like multiple times throughout like, you know, the times I've had backyards. And um, I love the, the ingenuity of sod. Anyone else? Just pre-cut squares of grass that someone else grew. And you just like, I mean, you still have work to do, right? Like you're like taking out rocks and prepping the soil and making it flat. But then like in one day, it goes from dirt to like green luscious grass. And you just walk away and like, <laughs> totally did that. And so I've, I've, it's always what I've done. And I freaking love sod. I'm like, I'm such a fan of it. It's actually pretty quite durable at last. But then there's one time I'm like, you know what? I'm going to like plant seed. It's a terrible decision. I'm just going to tell you right now. Was, <laughs> actually, it, it didn't work out quite well because how many kid, little feet were running on it that my kids at the time. But there was actually something incredibly spiritual for me to actually just do a lot of work that showed nothing for quite a long time. Like just, just exerting energy that there was not, at the end of the day, it just still looked like dirt that was a little bit more wet and it wasn't for weeks until I started to see little green but it didn't look like a lawn maybe like a month or two later as you can kind of see like little patches and you're like that's not even even like it's just like a terrible job but then months later interestingly enough that the seed that I was willing to do slowly and plant actually carried with it a different color and actually a different durability because of that, and I, and I just think that from when I was thinking about this week, we live in a world that wants to convince you that you can have a sod spirituality. Like, if you listen to enough podcasts, read a few books, and you show up to church once or twice a month, and like, watch what happens. I think Jesus says, actually, you, you can't do anything apart from me. This is going to be slower than you're going to want, but it will produce something that's more beautiful and vibrant and durable than you could ever imagine. The next thing that this passage talks about is the principle of pruning. Buckle up. No one likes this topic very much. 
But a couple of interesting things you need to point out. When he says, I'm the true vine, my father is the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that it will be even more fruitful. This is, again, this is a category we don't have for in our culture. That Jesus, again, this isn't like just some rogue weed. This is a branch attached to the vine that is bearing fruit. That the Father actually steps in and says, I actually have a desire for you to bear more fruit. The only way to get this is if I prune you. Which is a fascinating idea for us to wrestle with is that what if the most fruitful parts of our life, that there would be seasons where the divine gardener would move towards us and prune those things for the sake of furthering the fruitfulness of his kingdom. Now, keep in mind, this is not, we don't prune ourselves. This is something that God does in us. But the question we have is, do we welcome seasons of pruning? Do we welcome that? And do we sense the Lord in those seasons? One theologian said that the gardener is never closer than when he prunes. And if you think, if you ever pruned like a rose bush before, you you can't do that like far away well. You have to get in there closely and you have to do it meticulously because ultimately pruning is intentional. It's focused. You're trying to get somewhere. Dr. Henry Cloud says this, pruning is strategic. It is directional and forward-looking. It is intentional toward a vision, desires, and objectives that have been clearly defined that are measurable. If you have that, you know what a rose is, and pruning will help you get one of true beauty. And so, for those of us, this may just be, you may be deceased, and you already know, like, man, I, I don't know why this thing that used to always bear fruit all of a sudden feels like it's not. And rather than like striving harder, getting frustrated at God, working more, exhausting yourself, maybe you should actually pay attention and ask, Lord, are you actually doing this in me? What a relief to rest back into that act and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you that even though you're taking away this thing that feels so fruitful for me, you are doing it with love and intentionality because you have a greater plan and purpose that I can rest in. And then the last thing is that when we remain and when we are pruned, it will lead us towards a life of love. And this is ultimately, I think, the end goal of the garden God is wanting to do in and through each one of our lives, is that the fruit we actually bear, he, does, he doesn't leave us an interpretation, it's that we would become people of love. And so for us, when you think about it, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this, that you may have joy and may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The end goal of tending the garden of our own soul and the garden within this church is that we would be able to say we are loving like Jesus has loved. Thomas Merton has this beautiful quote that deals with this and also a lot with the imagery of a garden. I just want to read this to you. It's a, little, it's a bit lengthy, but it's beautiful if you would like to just kind of read through. It says this, 
For it is God's love that warms me in the sun and God's love that sends the cold rain. It is God's love that feeds me in the bread I eat and God that feeds me also by hunger and fasting. It is the love of God that sends the winter days when I am cold and sick, but the hot summer when I labor, my clothes are full of sweat. But it is God who breathes on me with light winds off the river and in the breezes out of the wood. His love spreads the shade of the sycamore over my head and spends, sends the water boy along the edge of the wheat field with a bucket from the spring while the laborers are resting and the mules stand under the tree. It is God's love that speaks to me and the birds in the streams, but also behind the clamor of the city. God speaks to me in his judgments, and all these things are seeds sent to me from his will. If these seeds would take root in my liberty, and if his will would grow from my freedom, here it is, I would become the love that he is, and my harvest would be his glory and my own joy. The last thing I want to focus on this morning is not only is the garden a place where we are from, not only is the garden some place we are to cultivate now, but the garden is ultimately the place where we're going. We talked about the second page of scripture. How about the last page? If you turn to the very last chapter of the Bible, it ends in Revelations 22. And as I read this, I want you to see if there's any things that sound familiar based on what we started the morning off with. It says, then the angel showed me the, rid- the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will, be, there will not need the light. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord. God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. What I love about this is as he describes the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, he's drawing imagery from the Garden of Eden. He talks about rivers flowing from the middle of it. And he says that there's on either side of the river, there's a tree singular. How does that happen? Well, because in the Garden of Eden, there was two trees. But in the new Jerusalem, there's one on either side of the river. And it says that it's bearing fruit. I love it. He says there's no more curse. Our story ends back in the garden, which actually sheds a lot of light on a very interesting moment that many of us might be familiar with, where Jesus is dying on the cross in between two convicted criminals. And as he's standing up there trying to catch the last few breaths before he dies, one of the criminals mocks him and joins in with the Roman officials and jeering at him while the other thief on the other side just stops and rebukes the other criminal. Don't you know who this is? And then he speaks up in Luke 23, verse 42. He says, then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Interestingly enough, that Greek word, is a word that's paradiosos. And it's the word best translated as garden. 
today you will be with me in the garden. And for us, like that thief, when we say, Jesus, would you remember me? He says, why don't, why don't you come with me back to the garden? This is where we will be for all of eternity. And for us today, and, and the, just to kind of cue up next week as we dive into this theme on prayer, that word in the Greek is only used three times in the New Testament, Revelation and Luke. And the second time is when Paul is actually referring to a moment he had in prayer where he's caught up in a vision where he actually references him being in paradise, in the garden. He didn't die to get there, which I think is really telling. And I'll, I'll let Brian unpack that a little bit more next week. But I think that the garden is not just something we go to when we die. It's not just something we study that happened in history. It's something that's available through Jesus right now. We have access to a life that looks like the shalom that God brought in the garden because we've attached ourselves and abided with the gardener. Would you guys bow your heads with me and let's invite Isaac and teams to come and end our time of worship. And I just want you to take a minute and I want you to think about the condition of your own soul, the soil of your heart. What is it that God is wanting to, you to pay attention to? Are you abiding? Are you remaining in Him? Is there pruning going on? Is the fruit of your life look like the love that Jesus showed us and gave us an example of? And as you just take a moment to just think about that, as we enter into worship, this is our moment. That maybe like Paul, we would even have a glimpse of that garden. That we could just say, Jesus, come and tend the soil of my own heart. Would you draw me closer into that reality? Would you stand to your feet with me? Jesus, thank you so much that when we got ourselves removed from the garden, you came to earth and the, minute, the moments before you died, you found yourself in a garden yourself, taking on the weight of our penalty of sin. And that, Lord, you not only stood in a garden in anguish praying to your Father, but, Lord, you now have called us back to the garden where there is no more curse, there's only the tree of life. Lord, in that there is no more night, no more need for a lamp. And Lord, I pray that a heavenly reality would mark our current reality. Like Paul, we would say our citizenship, our belonging is in the garden. It is in heaven with you. Meet us here. Prune as you will. Draw us as you will. Lord God, that the garden of this church and of our souls would look more and more like Eden. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.